All right, this is Commission Vice President Sam Cho reconvening the regular meeting of August 9th, 2022. The time is currently 12.09 p.m. We're meeting in person today at the Port of Seattle headquarters building and virtually through Microsoft Teams. I'm getting some feedback. I am presiding for Commissioner Calkins today. Sorry, we'll give it a second here. Who is in attendance at the Airport Conference of America and is representing the Port of Seattle. Commissioner Calkins is expected to t attend at least part of our meeting today. I believe he's here right now. Clerk Hart, please call the roll of all commissioners in attendance today. Thank you, Mr. Commission Vice President, beginning with Commissioner Fellerman. Present. Thank you, Commissioner, on your mic. On your mic, it's a go. Present. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Present. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed will be here shortly. Commissioner Calkins joining us virtually. I'm on here. Thank you, Commissioner. And Commissioner Cho. Present. Thank you. You do have a quorum here today. Excellent. Thank you so much, Clerk Hart. Uh, before we uh, commence, I'd like to correct something for the record. Uh, I'd like to note that during exec executive session today, Commissioner Mohammed was actually um, not in attendance and Commissioner Calkins was. I think I got that reversed when I first uh, gaveled in. So wanted to correct that for the record. And we now have Commissioner Mohammed with us today. Excellent. Welcome, Commissioner. <laughs> Um, due to the continued virtual component of participation for our meetings, we have staff, external presenters, and members of the public who may be participating on their personal devices or from their telephones today. We've made arrangements to accommodate this virtual format. Later, we'll take public comment from people who are participating by Teams, as well as from those in person who have signed up to speak. For anyone participating on Microsoft Teams, please mute your speakers when not actively speaking or presenting. Please keep your cameras off unless you are a member of the commission or executive director participating virtually, or uh, you are a member of staff in participation and are actively addressing the commission. Members of the public addressing the commission may turn on their cameras when their name is called to speak. For anyone at the dais here today, please turn off the speakers on any computers and silence your devices. When you are recognized to speak, you will press the button for your Microsoft, uh, microphone to be audible and you will press it again to silence it when you are not actively speaking. All the items noted here will ensure a smoother meeting. Thank you so much for complying. All votes today will be taken by roll call method since there is a virtual component to the meeting, so it is clear for everyone participating virtually how the votes are cast. Commissioners will say aye or nay when their name is called. To be equitable, I ask that commissioners wait to be recognized before speaking. Um, we are meeting on the ancestral lands and waters of the Coast Salish people with whom we share a commitment to steward these natural resources for future generations. This meeting is being digitally recorded and may be viewed or heard at any time on the port's website and may be rebroadcast by King County Television. Please join, uh, stand and join us for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. 
Moving on to item three, the first item of business today is approval of the agenda. Are there any motions to rearrange the orders of the day or any items to remove the consent agenda for separate discussion? All right, seeing none, commissioners, the question is now approval of the agenda. Is there a motion to approve the agenda? So moved. Seconded. The motion has been made and seconded. Is there any objection to approval, approval of the agenda as presented? Nope. Okay, hearing none, the agenda is approved as presented. Thank you very much. Next on our agenda is the Executive Director's report. Executive Director Metric, please take it away. Good afternoon, Commissioners. A lot of things have happened since we last met, so I hope you'll indulge me to speak about some recent events and happenings here at the port. For the first time since the pandemic, Seafarer events have fully returned to Seattle. With Seafarer comes Fleet Week. In collaboration with Seafarer and the Seattle Navy League, the Port of Seattle proudly hosted the United States Navy, United States Coast Guard, and the Royal Canadian Navy ships for the 2022 Seafarer Fleet Week. This event has been part of our maritime history here in Seattle since 1950. On Monday, we, uh, the week opened with a parade of ships and the U.S. Coast Guard search and rescue demonstration narrated by our very own Patrick Haley from the Aviation Division. They provided a spectacular pass and review for waterfront visitors, visiting flag office, senior officers, and local dignitaries. Tuesday through Saturday, vessels were open for public tours at Pier 66, Pier 69, and at Terminal 90. The United States Navy estimated they hosted more than 5,000 visitors on board the vessels during Fleet Week. It takes a lot of work for things to run smoothly, a special thanks to the Port of Seattle staff, Rosie Courtney from External Relations, Marie Ellingson from Cruise, Dumas Whitaker from Marine Maintenance, and the Maritime Operations Team, Kathy, Kathy Goodman, Kelly Goodwin, and Earl Parker, formerly with the Port of Seattle. Russ Reed from Maritime Security and Marine Maintenance Sign Shop Electricians and Plumbers. This time of the year also is, is not only marked by the Blue Angels in events with Seafair, but it also means budget around here at the port. With that in mind, I'm pleased to report that the port's second quarter financial results are very strong. Even though different lines of business are experiencing different rates of recovery from the disruption caused by the pandemic. At Seattle Tacoma International Airport, passenger volume continued to rebound and is expected to be only 9.72% lower than 2019. In the Maritime Division, this season the port is expecting a record number of sailings at 293 for cruise and an estimated 1.25 million passengers. Cruise fishing, commercial and recreational marine revenues are expected to exceed budget targets while conference and event centers are experiencing a lower, slower rate of recovery. On a full year basis, we're projecting that operating revenue be 11.2 million favorable to the budget and operating expenses to be 10.3 million favorable to the budget this year. On the capital side, we anticipate capital spending to be 443.7 million or 77% of the budget in 2022. The full financial report is attached in your, in your uh, documents for your review. The staff and I are available for any follow-up questions upon your review. In other financial news, last Tuesday, the Port of Seattle sold uh, $862.6 million of uh, intermediate uh, lien revenue bonds. The bonds funded $3.10 million of outstanding bonds, providing a savings to the port of $443 million. The bonds will help fund continued improvements at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, primarily the baggage optimization project and the North Main Terminal Redevelopment. 
Due to, in large part to our excellent credit rating, the interest rate on the bonds was 3.69%. This is an excellent result given the recent market volatility in the rise in interest rates this year. Congratulations to our team that worked on that. In work related to advancing our sustainability, Port Staff convened the second meeting with the Alaska, with the Alaska, British Columbia, and Washington ports Green Corridor first movers on July 27th. The first movers, including the ports in Alaska, British Columbia, Cruise Lines, CLIA, and other organizations, Maritime Blue, and the Global Mar Mar Maritime Forum, discussed group governance, initial scoping of the feasibility assessment, and stakeholder outreach. The group agreed to take a consensus approach, no up or down votes, and a small working group will begin to develop terms of reference to ensure everyone is in alignment with how decisions will be made and decided to form a small working group to develop a communications and stakeholder outreach strategy. Discussions on the scope and definitions of a green corridor will continue at the next meeting scheduled for August 18th. And we'll provide a more detailed report to the commissioners on progress on a, on a bi-monthly, every other month basis, not twice a month, every other month basis on those reports. Uh, our aviation maritime uh, environment, environmental, our aviation environmental team at SEA are also very busy and have reported some milestones on their own that are worth us noting and celebrating. Uh, as we noted in our communication to you earlier. SEA Airport Scope 1 and Scope 2 greenhouse gas emissions in 2021 decreased 50.23% from the 2005 baseline, meeting the Century Agenda goal of 50% reduction goal early. Scope 1 and 2 emissions relate most directly to port operations and are the ones over which we have the most control. The 2030 climate goal was originally set by the Commission in 2012 and reaffirmed in 2021. With the vision, support, expertise, and perseverance of staff and leadership, we've been able to significantly reduce our greenhouse gas emissions from airport-operated facilities. It's not very often that a large agency can achieve a climate goal, and certainly not eight years earlier. Some of our key accomplishments include replacing fossil natural gas with renewable natural gas in our boilers and for heating fuel and for our bus fleet, using renewable diesel in our fleet, purchasing Puget Sound Energy green direct wind electricity for buildings on the south end of the airport. Achieving this 50% reduction takes into account our growth since 2005, which makes this achievement even more noteworthy. Last fall, the Port of Seattle's Commission adopted an accelerated goal to achieve 100% reduction in our Scope 1 and Scope 2 emissions by 2040. Achieving the next 50% will be an enormous challenge. We look forward to your continued support and working collaboratively to achieve this next important milestone. I want to thank our aviation environmental team and everyone in aviation for their unwavering focus on achieving this goal. Special thanks to Man Aviation Managing Director Lance Little and the entire airport leadership team for the strong support of this effort as well. Things are also happening at the federal level. This past weekend, as we most of us know, the United States Senate passed the Inflation Reduction Act, a $740 billion health, tax, and climate bill that will have far-reaching impacts on many aspects of the economy going forward. Most significantly for the Port of Seattle, the legislation contains major investments in aviation and maritime decarbonization that will be key to helping us meet our clean air, uh, clean energy, and environmental justice goals. I want to highlight the new Sustainable Aviation Fuel Blenders Tax Credit, 
a $300 million sustainable aviation fuel infrastructure grant program, and a $3 billion through the and $3 billion through the United States Environmental Protection Agency to electrify port maritime operations. These are only a few of the many opportunities in the legislation that staff will be working on to capitalize on over the next several years. The United States House of Representatives will convene on this Friday to pass le the legislation and send it to the President for his signature. I want to congratulate the members of the Washington Congressional Delegation who played a major role in ensuring the inclusion of many of these provisions. And I look forward to updating you further on the implementation of these new resources and what they'll mean to the port going forward. Moving on to today's commission meeting, I'd like to highlight one item. On new business, as part of Agenda Day, we ask for your authorization of a two-year contract with Maritime Blue to continue its work and partnership with the port. As discussed at a, at a previous commission meeting, Maritime Blue has made great progress over the past three years and is poised to be even more impactful in its work going forward. The contract before you today that you'll hear about allows us to continue supporting our Maritime Accelerator Initiative as well as add a new Maritime Incubator Program at Fisherman's Terminal. The new incubator will allow us to support earlier stage maritime companies who may need or benefit from a supportive business environment. The incubator can also serve as a feeder to our accelerator program. As an example, we had Sea Potential, an environmental justice LLC dedicated to elevating black, indigenous, and people of color representation in the marine sciences from the Port of Tacoma's incubator, join our accelerator cohort, cohort this year. Uh, commissioners, I look forward to discussing that more when we uh, when the item comes up. And this concludes my remarks for this afternoon. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much, Director Metric. Any questions for the executive director? Great. Awesome. Oh, thank you. Um, I just wanted to ask. Uh, we we did achieve this early uh, greenhouse gas reduction goals of Scope One and Two last year, and I was just wondering what what new has happened in this past year. I think it's meeting the whole. Uh, get back to you exactly on that, but I think it's. I think it's meeting them across all operations. I believe is the. And I, I guess also as we continue to grow, to be able to maintain this is just just to maintain it is an accomplishment. Right. But I, I would be interested to know if there was a further because the RNG and those other things are purchases we made authorized previously. Thank you. Thank you. We are now out committee reports. Uh, our commission special advisor, Erica Chung, will, our strategic advisor, will provide the report. Thank you. Good afternoon, Vice President Cho and commissioners. I have one committee report for you today. The governance committee met on July 28th and received two large policy review project briefings. The first was on the delegation of responsibility and authority. The um, internal audit department previously identified efficiency opportunities with the delegation. A project team has performed an analysis of the delegation policy and reported its findings to the governance committee. The governance committee supports an increase in the delegation authority consistent with the project team's findings and with proper um, protections and reporting in place so that projects and expenditures are transparent and supported by the commission. The project team continues this work in reviewing the policy document for areas of technical cleanup and clarity. The Governance Committee will next meet on October 5th and will receive its third project briefing at that time. Two two ones will be held with commissioners in early October, and the Commission will receive a briefing on the policy review at the second meeting in October. The policy document is scheduled to come before the Commission for introduction and, ad and adoption in November. 
The Governance Committee also received a policy briefing from the project team reviewing the Commission's ethics code. The project team has performed an in-depth analysis of the code and associated documents informing the ethics code process and procedures. The project team's key takeaways are that clarity is needed in the construction of the code with respect to the complaint process. Other policy questions have been identified. Board of Ethics rules and procedures are also inconsistent with the code and need to be rewritten. The uh, project team continues its review and will provide a second update to the Governance Committee at its October 5th meeting. This concludes my report. Thank you. Thank you, Erica. Any questions for Erica on committees? Go ahead. Could you just clarify who's the members of the Governance Committee? If I may? Yes. Through the Commission Vice President to Commissioner Fellowman, members are Commissioner Fellowman and Commissioner Calkins. Excellent. Thank you very much. We are moving on to item 7 on the agenda. The Commission will now accept general public comment from those who have signed up to speak on items related to the port. Written materials provided to the clerk will be included in today's meeting record. The clerk has a list of those prepared to speak. We are taking comments from anyone who has signed up to speak virtually as well as from anyone who has joined us here in chambers today. As the clerk calls your name, if you are joining virtually, please unmute yourself. Then please repeat the name for the record, your name for the record. If you're on the Teams meeting and are also streaming the meeting on the website, please mute the website stream to avoid feedback. Comment time will be limited to two minutes per person. The timer will show on the screen for your viewing and will chime twice at the end of the two-minute period, at which time I'll ask speakers to conclude their remarks so that they may hear from our next speaker. Uh, Clerk Hart, please call our first speaker. Thank you. Our first speaker is Council Member J.C. Harris. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Um, I am, uh, of course, speaking today on your uh, item regarding sound insulation. And um, while I thank the Commission for uh, the efforts that it has made, I have to tell you that it's uh, disappointing on a number of fronts. Um, primarily that... Uh, the state passed a law a couple of years ago to uh, allow for updates um, to deal with uh, the different port packages that had had problems. And, um, you know, at the time, the commission was much more amenable to uh, speaking with the community and um, getting basic education on the problems and um, the challenges. Um, Thus far, I've really only seen you get information from your own staff, and that alone is worrying. Um, I have tried to talk with you about uh, a program that uh, is quite doable at San Francisco International Airport, and I would welcome the opportunity to do so. The uh, proposal that you will be looking at today is uh, walked back quite a bit from what was originally talked about in 2020. Um, the majority of homes that need help are not pre-1993, not at all. Those uh, packages were installed before the third runway, which is by far the lion's share of the problem. So I would welcome a chance to uh, 
brief you on this from the community standpoint, um, and I hope that you will be far more aggressive going forward. Thank you. Thank you, council member. We look forward to meeting with you in the community. All right, we'll move on to the next speaker. Yes, thank you. I think it's Bridget uh, Normand. Is this on? It is, yes. You might want to move the mic towards you a little bit. This one here. This one? Yeah. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes. My name is Bridget Normand, and I live in Seattle on the shores of the Salish Sea. I'm here today because I believe that you as port commissioners and all of us as resident humans have a deep responsibility to the health of the Salish Sea and the coastal waters of the Pacific Northwest. I believe that the Salish Sea cannot stay healthy if mega cruise ships plow its waters. I trust that all of you, as informed and thoughtful leaders, understand this reality too. I stand before you as an earth being. We humans in our essence are earth beings and have no independent existence apart from the other earth beings and the air, the water, the soil of the living earth itself. And this includes the marine phytoplanktons that provide 50 to 80 percent of the oxygen we need to breathe. Ocean pollution, warming, and acidification threaten their survival, and thus our survival is threatened too. When they're gone, where we don't have enough air to breathe. As an earth being, I am here to speak up for the earth. The earth has no voice. The Salish Sea and the creatures who live there have no voice. Or to, with, we are their voice. What are they asking us to do? What are the children of the future asking us to do? Or to quote Wendell Berry, what does the earth require of us if we want to continue to live on it? These are not easy questions to ask, not easy questions to sit with. However, the reality is that we are in a time of exponentially increasing global heating and rapid melting of the sea ice. And these and in other profound questions may lie some answers if we have the courage to ask them and then the wisdom to listen to what arises in our hearts. I know your job as port commissioners is difficult and you're trying to juggle many different demands, but the future of life on earth depends on you and all of us having the courage to open our hearts to these most difficult questions and then act on behalf of the earth. Thank you very much. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, our next speaker is Iris Antman. Yes. Iris, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thank you. Go ahead. Good, af good afternoon. My name is Iris Antman. The port does a good job evaluating the benefits of its cruise business, tracking the revenue and the jobs and businesses it supports. But we have not seen commensurate attention paid to the costs of the risks and harm cruising causes. For example, financial harm like the cost of health care for port community populations who suffer disproportionate exposure to air pollution, not only from the cruise ships, but also the jets bringing tourists to Seattle to take cruises. The cost of missed school days for children living in those communities. 
the cost of workers' lost income due to illness and premature death related to air and water pollution, not to mention the costs associated with the stress of dealing with health and financial problems. Economists talk about the social cost of carbon in an attempt to measure in dollars the long-term damage done by a ton of carbon dioxide emissions in a given year, as well as the dollar figure for damages avoided by emission reductions. The social cost of carbon relates not only to climate, but also to community health, air and water pollution, ecosystem and marine life health, and the workers and tourists exposed to emissions. We cannot and should not ignore the social health and economic factors adversely affected by continuing cruise business as usual. In working to expand the cruise sector, the port is endorsing adding greater amounts of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, worsening global warming. Do you really want to do this? To be fair, you must measure and report not only cruise benefits, but also the cost of the harm that cruising causes. Please, do not ignore the gravity of the clear and present danger of the climate crisis. Do not expand cruising. Do not extend leases. Use your energy, creativity, and intelligence to develop and support 21st century enterprises on our waterfront. Enterprises that do not contribute to the destruction of the environment on which we depend for life. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Iris. We'll move on to the next speaker, Andrea O'Farrell. I recorded myself because I get emotional. I am speaking to you because I believe that you and all of us resident humans have a deep responsibility to the health of the Salish Sea. When I read statements by Antonio Guterres, Secretary General of the United Nations, such as the following, and I quote, heat waves are hitting the northern hemisphere, but the reality is that no nation is immune to the climate crisis. Half of humanity is in the danger zone from wildfires, floods, droughts, and extreme storms. We can still avoid the worst with urgent and ambitious climate action, end quote. When reading this, I think that climate action includes changing the way we think and the way we act. We have to stop doing things that cause... Oh, jeez. <laughs> Someone's calling me. We need to stop using fossil fuels. So often the word sustainable is floated around. Mega cruise ships are not part of a sustainable ecosystem. We need to stop promoting them. We need to stop allowing them in the Salish Sea. I question how a livable future is possible if we're already seeing record temperatures, breakdown of systems, and scientists are admonishing us to change course. I wonder what kind of future people imagine with the continue to support the economy argument. Climate disasters are costing the economy billions, and how can we put a dollar amount on the lives lost? According to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, wildfires, hurricanes, tornadoes, and a winter storm and cold wave were among the 20 weather and climate disasters in the U.S. last year that cost $1 billion or more, totaling $145 billion and killing 688 people in 2021. We need a cruise-free Salish Sea. We need a livable future. Thank you. Thank you so much. Next up is Rebecca Kate. Rebecca, are you with us? 
Yes, thank you and good afternoon. Uh, my name is Rebecca Kate and I live in Seattle on the shores of the Salish Sea. Like my friends and fellow earth beings here today, I'm here to speak up on behalf of the creatures of the Salish Sea that are suffering under the weight of human activity in this area. I know your job as port commissioners is difficult with multiple priorities and demands pressing for your immediate attention. But now more than ever, this is the time to step back and evaluate our relationship with this amazingly beautiful but fragile Salish Sea ecosystem and the creatures who live here. If you were to do so, you'd find that there's no place for mega cruise ships to be traveling these waters and docking at our ports. In a time of exponentially increasing global warming, rapid melting of sea ice, ocean acidification, and near collapse of various species, both on land and in the oceans, mega cruise ships are profoundly unnecessary and damaging human activity. They may provide a short-term economic boost, but the long-term effects are disastrous. Our work, all of us Earth beings, is to speak up for the Salish Sea, restore and protect it. As thoughtful leaders who consider all the activity in the port and make decisions accordingly, please know that I'm here to support you in making courageous and tough decisions on behalf of the Salish Sea, the oceans and the Earth, earth itself. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. Next up on our list is William, is it Livernoy? Hope I didn't butcher that. If I did, I apologize. Hello, uh, my name is William Levernois. I'm a, a scientist and researcher at the University of Washington. I live in Seattle, um, and um, I'm, I'm here to speak up about the cruise industry. Um, so, the if you like, if you just do a simple calculation, the number of cruises that have happened this year compared to pre-pandemic levels, pre-pandemic amounts, it's a forty percent increase, which um, is is in, in like I would understand maybe if that was if that was from last year where um, and yet we here we are still in a pandemic and the the number of cruise ships has gone up since before the pandemic I just want to emphasize that um, and I, I I just wonder like how does that line up with with climate goals because this is something that this is like a huge portion of greenhouse gas emissions for the city of Seattle um, and the IPCC reports say that we need the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change says that we need to flatten or reduce CO2 emissions right now if we want to have a chance at a, at a livable future. So uh, for the last minute, I'll read this, this passage that was brought to me by a friend. Um, we are in the Anthropocene. As humans, we must take charge of our actions and show how truly smart and capable we are. All around us is life. We have harmed it, and we can save it. You are in a position of power, so what you think and how you act matters a lot. Cruise ships are not part of that livable future. We need to transition to a cruise-free sailor's sea. Thank you. Thank you, William. Next speaker on our list is Patrick McGee. McKee. Excuse me, yeah, McKee. Yeah, hello, commissioners. My name's Patrick McKee. Um, I want to call your attention to the Clean Shipping Act introduced last month by Congressman Alan Lowenthal and Congresswoman Nanette Berrigan, who represent the districts containing the ports of Long Beach and Los Angeles, respectively. Together, these two ports comprise the busiest shipping facility on the Western Hemisphere. 
The bill would zero out pollution from all ocean shipping companies doing business with the U.S., protecting the health of port communities, addressing environmental injustice, and providing solutions to the climate crisis. The bill directs the EPA to do the following. Set progressively tighter carbon intensity standards for shipping consistent with a 1.5 degrees Celsius decarbonization pathway. GHG reductions of 20% by 2027, 45% by 2030, 80% by 2035 and 100% by 2040 relative to 2024. These are benchmarks. They're used as a means of ensuring progress toward an ultimate goal, and they're conspicuously absent from the so-called Green Cruise Corridor proposal recently laid out by the Port of Seattle. And by 2030, it would require all ships at berth or at anchor in U.S. ports to emit zero GHG emissions and zero air pollutant emissions. This doesn't mean voluntary compliance, and it doesn't apply only to those ships whose owners deign to invest in shore power technology, which as far as I can tell is the Port of Seattle's position. We keep hearing the Port Commission's expressions of concern. The port is between a rock and a hard place, forced to negotiate between protecting the Salish Sea and the planet and ensuring revenue and job-producing port business. But hey, problem solved. We can let the feds level the playing field for us applying one standard all U.S. ports will have to meet. So to this end, I encourage the port to direct its congressional lobbying entity to endorse and support the Clean Shipping Act, maybe even redirect toward that effort the hundreds of thousands of dollars budgeted for cruise promotion over the next few years. Thank you. Thank you very much, Patrick. Next on our list is Sadia Bolton. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Sadi Avultum. I'm here to speak on behalf of airport workers. SeaTac passenger service workers are the, the bedrock of the airport community. We do the everyday jobs, assisting passengers, cleaning airplanes, handling baggage that keep our airport running. The pandemic took a heavy toll on this community. We faced layoff reduced hours, sickness, and the fear of getting sick. We all have worked so hard to keep our household steady and even to support our family back home. As the pandemic continued to have impact around the globe, many people would be shocked to learn that we work on the front line of global travel without adequate health insurance. This forced workers to find a strategy of how to deal with the cost of health care. We could pay 10% of our wage to purchase the employer provide plan, but it only covers preventive care. Another strategy is to go insured, to insured and pray we never get sick or like a third of passenger service workers enroll in Medicaid and shift be burned from the airlines we serve to the taxpayer. But we know we can do better. Airlines can do better by pledging to raise the standards of all airport workers, no matter who signed their paychecks. And the Port of Seattle can do better, ensuring that all airport workers have quality, affordable health care would be a good step toward equity and inclusion for the many new Americans in our port community. Establishing universal health care for all workers at SeaTac Airport, like they have done in San Francisco, 
Los Angeles, New York, and New Jersey would move us closer to our goal of making sure all airport jobs are good jobs. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much, Sadia. I really appreciate you coming out here today. The next person on our list of speakers is Toiba Ibrahim. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to, to for me to speak to you guys, and I'm here to represent the airport workers behalf of them. And I'm really happy to see you guys that you guys stand for us. I didn't know before you guys stand for airport workers, but to really see you guys helping us, and then you guys are here for us is very very thankful. I really thank you guys. And second is I'm here to speak about the health insurance that uh, as a me, I work for airport uh, prospect prospect company, which is work with the Delta, half of uh, they work for Delta. So we have insurance, but we cannot afford the insurance because it's too expensive. And also working for airport uh, for prospect pay, be being paid uh, minimum wage, we cannot afford paying the bills for the uh, insurance, and at the same time, rent, grocery, gas, everything is going high. So we are exposed to many things. Uh, some passenger, we work, agriculture, we can ex, we can be exposed uh, very easily. So if you guys consider uh, this to able uh, for us to able to give us uh, if you guys can do free insurance, but if you guys cannot do at least make it very like 10% or 5% for us. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for being here today and for your testimony. Last but certainly not least on our list of speakers is Matt Ventosa. Thank you, Commissioners. My name is Matt Ventosa. I'm the Vice President of the International Longshore Warehouse Union here in Seattle, and I would like to read this into the uh, record. The future of Piers 30 and 46 and the United States Coast Guard base in Seattle. The International Longshore and Warehouse Union Local 19 represents the workers along the Seattle waterfront who load and unload domestic and international cargo, grain, and cruise vessels. The union has long supported the importance of the maritime and industrial lands that support one in three jobs in Washington State. Our ports are vitally important to our nation, our state, and particularly to our farmers in eastern Washington as they allow them to compete in the global markets. There has been considerable investment on federal, state, and local levels to build the infrastructure that makes the Port of Seattle viable. Besides the direct investments of upgrading the terminals, the Port of Seattle, along with various other freight mobility projects, has invested $300 million in the State Route 99 tunnel project supported the heavy haul corridor along Alaskan Way and advocated for various other freight mobility projects. In the last 20 years, hundreds of millions of dollars have been invested in numerous freight improvements and projects, including State Route 519, the West Marginal Way flyover, and Lander Street grade separation, the Little H Bridge grade separation, and the moving of the tail track out of the Lander rail yard. Pier 46 is currently being used as a container depot for the USDA farm exports and other import-export shippers. Beginning in 2023, ships will resume calling at Pier 46 as one of 
as a one-berth, 65-acre terminal. The union supports the Northwest Seaport Alliance's desire that Pier 46 returns to a two-berth, 87-acre terminal once the Coast Guard's short-term lease ends. Pier 30 is currently a one-berth, 82-acre terminal with six shipping lines conducting business operations there. The three container cranes on the pier are highly productive and are ideal for the smaller niche vessels that call there, such as the Westwood Shipping Lines and the newly acquired Swire Line. These vessels have been a lifetime for our Eastern Washington agricultural exporters. The Coast Guard's short-term lease allows for dredging and rebuilding the four berths at Pier 36. This will allow the Coast Guard to create a home base for the Healy and the three polar security cutters being built with no impact on POS cargo terminals. The Coast Guard's preliminary environmental impact statement indicates they may consider berthing four more offshore patrol cutters in Seattle in the future. In all three of the Coast Guard's PEIS alternatives, the Coast Guard increases their footprint to six berths to accommodate the additional OPCs, resulting in the removal of cargo handling berths from 30 and 46. Sorry, man, I'm going to have to ask you to wrap it up. <laughs> okay, I'll just stop right there. Okay, Thank thanks, you, Sam. Matt. Thank you. All right, that concludes our sign-ups today. Is there anyone else present on the team's call who didn't sign up who wishes to address the commission? If so, please state, your, state and spell your name for the record. I'm not seeing or hearing anyone. Is there anyone in the room who didn't sign up who wishes to address the commission? If so, please come to the testimony table and state and spell your name for the record. All right. At this time, I'll ask the clerk to please give a synopsis of any written comments we've received. Thank you, Mr. Commission President. Pretty straightforward today, members of the Commission. We've received written comments supporting the spoken comments here today by Mr. Patrick McGee and Mr. Matt Ventosa. Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, and the, the testimony from, you said, from uh, Mr. Ventosa is in the record, correct? So anyone who wants to know what the rest of his testimony was, can go look that up. That is correct, and we will distribute that to um, all of the members of the commission here Excellent. after the meeting today. Thank you. Hearing no further public testimony, we'll move to the consent agenda. Item number eight is the consent agenda. Items on the agenda are considered routine and will be adopted by one motion. Items removed from the consent agenda will be considered separately immediately after adoption of the remaining consent agenda items. We've heard no items uh, to be pulled today. At this time, the chair will entertain a motion to approve the consent agenda covering items 8A, 8B, 8C, 8D, E, F, G, H, I, and J. Do I have a motion? Motion to approve the consent agenda. Thank you. Can I get a second? Second. Awesome. The motion was made and seconded. Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. Beginning with Commissioner Fellerman for approval of the consent agenda. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you. Five ayes, zero nays for this item. Excellent. The motion passes. All right. Moving on in the agenda, we have two new business items today. The first item is for, cons of consider for consideration of a joint partnership agreement with Maritime Blue. I understand Commissioner Calkins and Fellman will be recusing themselves in participating in this item due to their relationship with Maritime Blue. Commissioner Calkins for his employment relationship and Commissioner Fellman for his ex officio membership on the board, creating a potential conflict of interest for the commissioners. Is that accurate, commissioners? Mine is 
mine is limited to a perception of uh, conflict of interest because I have, with uh, Senator Lovelet, have no longer have a voting right on the board, so we have no impact on the budget, but I will recuse myself nonetheless. Thank you for practicing an abundance of caution. And Commissioner Cho, uh, Joshua Berger serves on the board of the organization that I lead, and so I've chosen to recuse myself to avoid any conflict. Thank you. He's gone. Excellent. Uh, Commissioner Calkins, please turn off your camera and microphone at this time. Deputy Commissioner Clerk Payne will message you in the chat when you're able to rejoin the meeting. Commissioner Feldman has already left the room uh, to recuse himself. Ms. Talavera of the Commission Office will ask him to rejoin the meeting after the discussion and vote. Please, Clerk Hart, please read the item into the record. We'll then hear from Executive Director Metric to introduce the item. We need to hold for a moment. Yeah, we Mr. just Commission lost quorum, so yes. we'll, we'll, we'll hold for a second while we wait for Commissioner Hazegawa to come back. And we'll stand in recess then? We'll stand in recess, thank you. Thank you. All right, we are back in, he's recusing himself. Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah, no worries, no worries. All right, so we are, we're, 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 yeah, it's all, we'll just put it on Commissioner Fellman. All right, Executive Director Metric, take it away. Let me go ahead and read that item into the record first. Mr. Oh, Commission yeah, I'm sorry, Vice go ahead. So this is agenda item 10A, authorization for the Executive Director to execute a joint partnership agreement with Maritime Blue, a nonprofit agency to advance economic recovery by offering a maritime accelerator initiative, starting a maritime business incubator program at Fisherman's Terminal and supporting conferences and events surrounding ocean innovation for a contract term of two years at the rate of $150,000 annually and a commission determination that a competitive process is not appropriate or cost effective, exempting the contract from a competitive process consistent with RCW 53.19.0205. Commissioners, our next item uh, <clears throat> ask you to authorize two uh, a new two-year contract for Maritime Blue. This contract supports our work to advance maritime innovation. Uh, as we know from the presentation that we got, I don't know if it was at the last commission meeting or the July 12th. On the, uh, in July, and it uh, jumpstarts new maritime business incubator program at Maritime Maritime Blue's Fisherman's Terminal headquarters. I support this contract extension. Maritime Blue has done a lot of great work with us over the last few years and continues, as I said in my opening remarks, we're po they're poised to make even more impactful work going forward, and we appreciate their partnership. Our, our presenter today, our presenters today are Dave McFadden, our Managing Director of Economic Development Division, and Joshua Berger, President and CEO of Maritime Blue. Joshua is with us virtually. So I'm going to turn it over to uh, Dave McFadden. Thank you. Good afternoon, Commissioners, Executive Director Metric. Um, I'm also pleased to be here to present uh, this request to authorize Maritime Blue's next contract. Let's go to the next slide. What we're specifically asking for is um, to authorize a contract for the next two years for $300,000. We're also seeking a competitive waiver, um, recognizing that Maritime Blue is a unique um, cluster organization. Um, let's go to the next slide. Uh, you, you heard, a, I think, a great report card from Joshua and I in July 12th. This organization has blossomed in the last three years and doing great impactful work. 
So we want that to continue and really what this agreement will do specifically is continue to support our Maritime Innovation Accelerator. We've had three of them so far. This supports the fourth and fifth one. But we're also adding a new element. We're adding a Maritime Business Incubator Initiative at Fisherman's Terminal. This is where their offices are. This is the hub for Maritime Blue. What we really discovered is the accelerator is working great, but there are other companies out there that have great potential, like Sea Potential, um, who came out of the Tacoma Incubator and with a little extra time and a little extra help was truly ready to join our accelerator. We don't want to miss those opportunities. We want to grow those opportunities from a seed, ideally whether they're successful in their own right or become a future part of our maritime accelerator cohorts. So that's really what's behind this new initiative. And in addition to that, we'll continue to organize what we call those blue forums and advance, that advance these discussions and collaboration. So that's really what we're planning on doing. Let's go to the next slide, please. And just a high-level report card. You know, as I mentioned earlier, the, the accelerator program has gotten off to a strong start. We're really lucky to work with uh, Maritime Blue on initiatives like Quiet Sound, Offshore Wind. They are an active supporter of our Maritime Innovation Center, probably a future operator of that facility. And finally, I've just seen them in three years go from zero to um, amazing in terms of their board and organizational growth. They've got a great group of leaders guiding this effort, and they're financially solid. So with that, we're asking for your support. I think the next slide. Yep, that's it. And and Joshua's online in case you have any questions, and I might open it up for him to just see if he had any comments to add. Hey, thank you, Dave. Thank you, Commissioners and Executive Director Metric. Dave, I think you, uh, you hit it out of the park in terms of what our goals are. We've been grateful for our long-term relationship with the Port of Seattle, uh, and as it extends really to our broader regional national and global goals around the blue economy, maritime decarbonization, equity, sustainability, and innovation. Um, so we'd be grateful to take the next steps with you all. Um, I think Dave exposed certainly a key area in providing an opportunity for earlier stage companies to find the core support they need to take the next steps. It also provides opportunity for us to clearly clarify the stage of businesses going through our program, which will lead to further capital investment. It's feedback we've gotten from those who are investing or doing due diligence on those companies. And the third is the recruitment opportunity. So the incubator is also primed to bring established uh, startups, mid-stage growth stage startups, who are looking to uh, expand into this region, have a potentially a seat to come land, sort of a soft landing in Washington State and King County as they look to grow here. So. We're very excited about the growth of that new program alongside what we've been able to do together thus far. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you both Dave and Josh for presenting this item today. Are there any questions for staff at this time from, from commissioners? Please indicate if you'd like to speak. All right, Commissioner Mohammed. Um, I don't have any questions, but I, I definitely wanted to comment and say that I appreciate the work that is happening um, at the Port of Seattle and the partnership with Maritime Blue. Um, I earlier today was um, participated in a congressional selected 
uh, select committee that is on um, economics, disparity, and fairness in growth. Um, uh, the committee, the Congressional Committee, um, was invited by U.S. Congresswoman Jayapal, and they have hearings in Seattle today, and their big focus um, is around workforce development issues. And so we were on a boat tour earlier today, and Maritime Blue came up, and all the work that is happening here locally around making sure that we're creating pathways for our young folks to be exposed to these industries. And um, it is great work that is happening. And um, it was great for us to be able to point to the partnership between the Port of Seattle, Maritime Blue, and our state. And so I'm looking forward to uh, supporting this work. That concludes my comments. Excellent. Thank you, Commissioner Mohammed. All right, I would just like to say that uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to work with Maritime Blue, uh, and in particular, Josh, on the One Ocean Initiative. Obviously, you and I have had many conversations, as well as conversations with potential um, organizations abroad who might take part in this global effort. And so, very excited, very enthusiastic, and uh, extremely supportive of our renewal. So with that, uh, hearing no further questions for this item, is there a motion and a second? So moved. Second. Motion was made and seconded. Clerk Hart, please call the roll for the vote. Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Hasekawa. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you. Three ayes, zero nays for this item. Excellent. Congratulations. The motion passes. I'll take a second here so that the clerk's office can bring back our colleague Ryan. I mean, uh, yeah, Ryan uh, and, and Fred. Yeah, it didn't pass. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> No, I think you've recused yourself from the item altogether, unfortunately, so I don't think. I can't even speak to the issue of the way you voted on it. I'm going to defer to Clerk Hart. Yes, in general, I would think you'd recuse completely from participation in the item, but you're right that the vote has been taken. That, yes. Okay. Well, can you, can you save it till the end of the meeting, maybe before closing comments then? Because we've technically already closed this. No, I can do that. that. Yeah. yeah. Thank, you. Thank you. All right, Clerk Hart, please read the next item into the record. We'll then hear from Executive Director Metric to introduce the item. Thank you. This is agenda item 10B and companion item 10C for the sound insulation program briefing. The title for 10C is authorization for the executive director to advertise a board and execute a major public works contract, include a project labor agreement, and fund construction of phase one of the apartment program in an amount not to exceed $40 million of the total apartment cost program cost of $133,515,000. Commissioners, uh, today we'll present you with an update on the uh, Seattle-Tacoma International Airport sound insulation programs. Great progress is made to complete the commission authorized acceleration 
installation programs by the end of 2026. Staff are here today to brief you on those efforts and the status of each program that is underway. They have made progress ramping up the programs to ensure that the deadlines are being met and that noise reduction benefits are helping within our communities. Staff will also discuss their plans to evaluate older products that were installed in the early years after, program, after the program began in 1985 to determine if they're holding up and meeting the intended purpose of the noise reduction. And finally, we're getting ready to procure contracting for sound installation of the first phase of apartment buildings. Staff are here to request authorization to advertise, award, and execute a public works contract, including a project labor agreement to begin phase one of this project, which includes five different complexes. Total authorization is $40 million. Uh, so with us today, we have Steve St. Louis, sound installation program manager, and Julie Kinsey, uh, noise program sound Insulation <clears throat> manager will be our presenters. So I guess I turn it over to Steve. Uh, thank you, Executive Director Metric, and good afternoon, Commissioners. I'm Steve St. Louis, the Sound Installation Program Manager for the Aviation Project Management Group. And as Mr. Metric said, I'll be joined by Julie Kinsey, uh, Sound Installation uh, Manager with the Noise Program. Next slide. A uh, brief agenda today, uh, going over this program status updates, funding, some risks, and next steps. Next slide. Mr. Commissioner Vice President, I just want to note, I think Commissioner Conkins did not return to this meeting, and he might be actually gone for the rest of the meeting. Okay. Duly noted. Thank you for that. Thank you. Uh, next slide, please. map we're looking at here shows the potentially eligible properties. Um, these are the properties that were originally identified after the first, um, after the, the most recent uh, Part 150 study. And these are um, the homes that the program was focused on uh, initially uh, over the past few years. Next slide. Program status update, we're going to go over the uh, history of the sound installation some updates on equity, diversity, and inclusion, on, and uh, some updates on what we've completed there. I'll go over single-family homes, the condominiums, the apartment program, places of worship, and the ATZ. Quick update on subordination agreement processes and improvements, and then the failed product study. Next slide, please. And for this one, I'm gonna turn to Julie. Go ahead, Julie. Yes, good afternoon. Uh Executive Director Metric and Port Commissioners. So the Port of Seattle has a strong history of support for sound insulation programs since its inception in 1985. To date, the Port has invested approximately $300 million in sound insulation of over 9,400 residents. The Port has spent approximately $100 million on acquisition and relocation of over 1,400 single-family homes and five, apart and five mobile home parks that were most impacted by air operations. We've partnered with education, providing $14 million to the Highline College to sound insulate 14 buildings. And with the Highline School District, as part of our 15 school, $100 million joint venture with the FAA. 10 of those 15 schools have been completed with the remaining schools being linked to Highline School District bonds. Next slide, please. One of the things we want to share is kind of an update from our previous uh, briefing with you, and that was our work with the Office of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. And so one of the enhancements that was identified was our 
sound installation website content. So the new website uh, is a virtual handbook and includes a hub of all of our easy to find videos, press releases, as well as updates regarding the sound installation program. This enables us to leverage the port's Google Translate feature, which takes this content and can translate it into the available 109 languages. In partnership with External Relations, we were able to launch this new website last year. And that's, Commissioners, what the QR code is if you want to be able to take a quick peek at it. Um, so we have also modified our outreach efforts through more frequent communications. We've used a variety of messaging, we, as well as delivery models with letters, as well as multi-language postcards. We continue to work with both OEDI and External Relations on our program on an ongoing basis. Next slide, please. And Steve is going to talk to you about our Veterans Fellows. Thanks, Julie. <clears throat> yes, Veteran Fellows. Port of Seattle has a really great, awesome Veteran Fellowship program for those of you that aren't aware. And our sound installation program was fortunate enough to actually um, have two Veteran Fellows uh, join our program last uh, last winter, um, Jose Figueroa and Jackson Embreu, um, both were on the sound installation program, um, supporting project management group as, as vet fellows. Um, they just recently completed their six month fellowship and lucky for the port, we were able to keep Jose. Uh, Jose is now a FTE with the port, uh, aviation maintenance group and, Jackson accepted a position with the Washington State Patrol um, as a commercial vehicle inspector. So just really wanted to congratulate both of those gentlemen. Uh, they were a pleasure to work with. Um, really appreciated all of their help supporting the program. And I also do want to uh, make a shout out to all of the folks who help support our veteran fellowship program at the port. A lot of energy and time goes into um, not only uh, getting the candidates, but as they, they're here with us at the port, um, making sure that uh, they're getting the resources they need and the help they need to, to be successful, um, however they, uh, wherever they end up going on their, in their next step of the chapter of their career. So um, just wanted to highlight that for everybody. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, single family homes. So program update here, uh, just, I did want to highlight the photos that you're looking at here. So this is a great example of, um, a before and after. So the photo up top is is before, and then the photo down below is the after. Um, you can see the difference in the windows. Um, sound insulation windows are, are much more robust, bigger, larger, thicker. And uh, so at this point in time, we're, we've completed 60, let's see, um, we have 63 that have applied. Uh, we've currently completed 10 single family homes in 2021. We're currently working on 13 right now for 2022. We have a few that are in the process of getting the paperwork all lined up so we can proceed with their designs and construction. Um, and we do anticipate this program um, keeping pace with around 10 single family homes per year through the end of 2026. Um, we do have currently 25 homes that are on hold by the homeowners themselves. Next slide, please. 
For the condominium program, the, the plan is to finish the Villa Enzian uh, condominium with 28 units. We're targeting the end of this year to be completed with all 28 units. Uh, the other two eligible condominium properties declined to participate in the program. And I do want to call your attention to the photo in the, the top left. So the window on the left side there has yet to receive sound insulation um, upgrade. And the window on the right is the new sound insulation window, all trimmed out um, and, and ready to go there. So that's the status of the condominium program. Uh, next slide, please. For the apartment program, we started out with 18 eligible complexes and we worked our way through testing and participation and um, everything to get, get that program teed up. After completing all the testing, we, we have landed with 10 properties that are gonna be participating in the program. Design has commenced on the first, uh, first package of five apartment complexes and phase one construction anticipating bid opening Q4 this year. And that'll be with the five buildings and 215 units. The entire program is on schedule to be completed no later than Q4 2026 for the apartments. Next slide, please. As I mentioned before, program is set up to complete no, no later than the end of 2026. And right now I have it set up in three separate design construction phases. Phase one, I'll be requesting construction authorization subsequent to the briefing. Um, phase two, I anticipate I'll, I'll be back for a uh, construction authorization either later this year or early 2023 for phase two. And then shortly followed by that will be phase three for um, construction. All completed by the end of 2026. Next slide, please. Places of worship, we started with seven properties. And at this point in time, we have four that have confirmed and tested eligible. Um, we do anticipate, I anticipate design starting this, this fall or early winter. And we will be um, partnering up with our consultant team who specializes in this type of work across the country and how to sound insulate uh, places of worship, which are have historic value to them, um, sensitivities with the spaces that we're working in, whether they be schooling, um, worship places, food banks, et cetera. So definitely going to be one of the more challenging parts of our program to complete. Next slide, please. Uh, for this one, Julie, um, do you want to give a quick update on the uh, ATZ? So our Southern uh, uh, Approach Transition Zone consists of two single family homes and one apartment building. And we have not yet finalized the design of the program, but we will be briefing commission on this shortly. Next slide, please. Owners participating in the sound insulation program sign navigation easements. And this is to be in part compliant with Washington state law and the use of public funds. When an owner has a lender, a subordination of the loan is needed to ensure that the abrogation easement stays on title. And while subordinations have always been a part of our document process, they became progressively more challenging, as the Commission knows, during the pandemic. 
the specialized consultants that we brought in to facilitate the process have cleared the backlog. And the, with their industry contacts, we're finding that they are now able to complete the subordination progress on average within four months. Staff has also reduced the initial time it took of acquiring the navigation easements through in-house notarization with port staff. Currently, we only have five subordinations of remaining outstanding for our single family as well as apartment programs. Next slide, please. So staff will be beginning our previously installed product study in 2023 to assess the condition of older windows and doors, ventilation systems, some of which have been installed for over 30 years. The plan is to procure a consultant to evaluate the historic products used, to make on-site inspections of the product, to assess their um, potential condition, and to create cost estimates for a potential repair or replacement. They will make recommendations on the creation of a program that would that may be eligible for FAA per approval, specifically with the pre-1993 work. Um, homes that were sound insulated after 1993, there is, or would not be eligible for FAA funding and an additional funding source would need to be identified. No funding source or AIP funds have currently been programmed for a new program. The goal of this study is really a first step to understanding the lifespan of older products that, reside, that are within the 65 DNL, their condition and the cost of a potential program. Steve will now be discussing for you the, pro, the funding for our current projects. Next slide, please. Next slide, please. Thank you, Julie. Uh, for project funding, uh, here's the breakout of each of our programs. So currently, uh, in, in of all of the sound insulation programs combined, uh, we're currently have received 30.5 million in FAA grants, and we are anticipating um, over 100 million dollars in future grants. Next slide, please. Program risks uh, currently. Our, our number one risk is really tied to uh, COVID and, and all the linkages that COVID has for impacting um, a project. So labor labor market shortages are, are currently potentially impacting us. Material delays are continuing to, to be a challenge and there's other ancillary impacts um, all tied to to COVID that we're all we're all managing those um, on a day to day basis and uh, that's where we're at with risks. Next slide. For next test, next steps, we're going to continue uh, planning, testing, and design with the consulting firm, um, continued owner outreach, and um, continue construction of single-family homes, initiate designs based on uh, the eligibility of the places of worship. We're going to complete Villa Anzian Condominium Complex and um, Shortly here, I'm going to request construction authorization for phase one of the apartment program. Next slide. That concludes our briefing. And, uh, we will take some questions and then uh, be ready for the next item. Great. Are there any questions or uh, comments for staff at this time from commissioners? All right, Commissioner Mohammed. Um, 
first of all, thank you for this presentation and for um, briefing us as a commission. Um, I have a couple of questions regarding um, your work around um, outreach and identifying houses. And um, before I begin my line of questions, I also wanna just thank you guys for including language access as part of your programming. Um, the QR code is great. Um, it is easy to find that information online. And so I just wanna recognize that and um, share my appreciation for that. Um, so my question is if, um, so there's, there's homes right now and apartments in, let's say, the city of SeaTac who um, have not received installations. Um, what is the best way for either the community that's living in those apartment complex to reach out to the Port of Seattle? Can you just share, or how are you guys reaching out to folks who um, might be living in um, that DNL boundary, but have not benefited from sound installation. Yes, thank you, Commissioner, for that for that question. So, of the the 18 apartment buildings that were identified as part of the the previous Part 150 study, uh, we have done extensive outreach to all 18 of the the properties. We did have 14, as we've shared with you, that applied. Um, and of that, there was two that decided declined to do perform testing. That was the building owners. And then 11 of the 12 that did perform testing are, are moving forward with the program. So regarding the four that have, have not applied, that does become the challenge. So we have had phone conversations with one of, one of the owners, um, but they have, they have kind of verbally not expressed interest. We will continue to do, to do outreach. So really with apartment buildings specifically, it is dependent upon the owner uh, responding to our outreach efforts, which you know we feel with the nearly 80%, we have been very successful with that. But I can tell from your look, I don't know that it completely answered that your question. I'm very expressive. Um, <laughs> so I'm wondering about, and maybe I need to take a look at the study. I'm thinking about maybe those apartment complex that fall outside of that study, but still live, you know, near the airport or who are like maybe a couple of miles away from the airport. Um, I'd love to see the list of the, the 18 complex that we're, we're talking about right now. So maybe that's information you can send to me. Yes, we, we can certainly provide that. And uh, if there's additional questions around the future, the, the next part 150, we do have Stan Shepard in attendance uh, in the commission chamber today. She put you on the spot, so I'm gonna wait. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good question. Can you please and, introduce yourself? In oh yes, Stan Shepard, senior manager of airport noise programs. And the future part 150 coming up, we'll take a look at what is uh, inside the current boundary also, but we'll produce a new boundary based on the actual noise levels that are happening at the airport and forecasted noise levels. So if there are programs that, you know, are falling outside now and they may come in at the next part 150, um, that's when the inclusion can happen. Um, but Right now, we've notified every homeowner, every apartment owner out there that's inclusive to the boundary um, that is eligible and working with those to get them into the program.
That's helpful. Yeah, I'm really interested in seeing what those boundaries look like and what homes are actually identified. Um, so that would be helpful. Thank you. Um, my next question, again, is around a little bit of the, the outreach that has been conducted. Have we provided this briefing to the elected members who are part of the Highline Forum? Um, we have talked to the Highline Forum on numerous occasions. We also give briefings to start on a regular occasion, too. On start, um, okay. So we've done both of those, yes. Okay, and then so if there's a community group that is interested in getting a briefing on the Port Sound installation program, what is the best way that they can go about that? Um, public affairs. So um, we can have them contact our public affairs department. Um, Marco Molinez is the person who actually coordinates with our local communities on those. So be happy and to do it. That'd be helpful. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, and does our outreach plan include just like broader listening sessions that are happening in communities that are near the airport outside um, of start and highline form and so forth yeah we, we haven't done that recently um we were doing that pre-covid but we haven't done it recently and what we're again when we're going into this next part 150 which is anticipated to start up next year there's going to be extensive public participation with that so that's a perfect time for all the communities to get involved in our programs to put in what they would like to see in the programs and have their voice heard. So that's the perfect timing for it. Can you just briefly describe what some of those listening sessions look like in the past? Sure, the part 150, when we began it the last time we had done it, um, we had brought everybody into a room, just invited everybody into the room that wanted to come into it. Then we also put up whiteboards, split everybody into little groups. And we had everybody put their input into the program, put it all on whiteboard, took it back and compiled all of that information for analysis to go forward into the part 150. So we like to really make sure that everybody has a voice in the program going forward. That's great. And um, I guess my last question is for a property owner who has maybe a sound installation that has failed, um, in the past, I mean, it, it's clear that it says from 1993, there's not additional funding to um, provide sort of an upgrade on that. What are uh, maybe other avenues those individuals can take or maybe even as a port, what sort of tools do we have? So as was mentioned in, in the briefing that we had here, we're gonna be taking a look at the products that may be failing out there. So coming up next year, we're hiring a consultant. We're put, making sure we have enough money in our budget to hire a consultant next year to go in and take a look at our programs that were like put in in the 1980s when they began. Those, those products that are 30 or more years old out there. We're gonna take a look at those, have them see what the problem is out there if there's a problem if those products are failing if they are no longer meeting the noise reduction needs that we have in the standards for that and then give us a report on that to understand what the issue is if their issue is extensive we don't know yet so i mean we need that information to form a program that we can take forward to actually put a project together so that's where we're at we're moving forward with it we're committed to do it next year so we're going to be taking a look at that that's really helpful. I guess my, my last question, and maybe is for um, Director Metric, um, you know, as we are getting dollars from the infrastructure bill um, and we have a lack of funding in programs like the sound installation, are we taking into account maybe prioritizing sound installation as part of some surplus dollars that we've gotten, um, considering dollars that we are, we are getting from the infrastructure bill? I'm not sure how those all fit together, but we can look at that, Commissioner, of the different funding sources and, and where those are available. So we can definitely look at that. To Thank see how you. That fits in. 
That concludes my questions. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Mohammed. Any other one? Anyone else? No. All right, Commissioner Feldman. Well, I must say it's really great to see the progress occurring. You know, we gave the motion whatever last year or the year before that said let's get back on track and full speed ahead. Thank you very much for all that work, and it's an extensive future project list in front of you. So I, I'm glad you staffed up to get on with it, and uh, it's very encouraging. And I think the communities around should very much see the progress that you're taking on. So it's greatly appreciated. The question that I, I had. Um, really went to, to this question about the pre-1993, post-1993. I, I should know this, but, um, you know, you assume if, there's a, if they're up to modern code, then they wouldn't be eligible? Is that the way it is, or is it just an absolute measurement? If you're in the DNL, if you're allowed, you're allowed. But help me understand. Yeah, so what? I mean, if the, the, the buildings, the, the one, one thing that comes into the 1993, that's when the FAA actually established a noise standard for noise reduction. So that's why the FAA says we didn't have a standard before that. We're going to go back and say if something's not working that you put in because we didn't provide you a standard, those would be potentially eligible if they're within the 65 DNL and they also test um, at a higher noise level than 45 dB interior. So those are the one things. We also have building codes within the cities. Boy, I forget the building codes. Maybe Julia can help me. 1980. Go ahead. Which one is that? So it's 1986 and 1987. They're slightly different between our yeah. municipalities. So 1986 and 1987 were where the local communities around the airport actually enacted building codes. So those building codes met or exceeded our standards for noise reduction that we could put into a house. So anything built prior or after that is not eligible. Anything that built that's that's Prior to that, um, is eligible. So it just assumes that that it was built to the code and that it that it yeah. the things weren't failing and all that sort of stuff. So it's not really based on a measurement. It's based on the fact that you assume it was built to code and the installation hasn't you know failed or the roof hasn't had a problem. But so do we get the navigation rights for those buildings? Not the ones that we're not doing. Because that, yeah. right, so we're not so, trading any yeah, of that. We, we do have to put the reliance on the cities for their building codes to enforce those to make sure that they're done. But we, we have nothing to, uh, no right to go in for a navigation easement on those properties. But at the same time, the communities don't have a, a right of complaint either. They can complain. Well, I mean, a right that they can't take the FAA on for failing to acknowledge their impact. Not that I know of. All right. Well, I'm just trying to really just get a clarity. So, sure. so the question though is, for the post 1993, we're going to do this survey, which I think is great. How big a problem do we have, or is that we're going to do a survey on all of our programs since 1985? Anything that was implemented since 19, it's not reliant on that 1993 oh. number. So 1993 is when the FAA will fund some of it. Prior to that, we know there still may be failures with some of the products that we put in a long time ago, and if those failures are actually evident and out there, um, we'll figure out what we can do with those. We don't have a funding source for those, though. Okay, so, all of those. All, so we'll, we'll find out everything since 85. I think I got that wrong. After 1993. Yeah, yeah. Pre-1993 is FAA funded. After 1993 is going to be on us at this point. But the FAA doesn't have any money for repair right is this is there a repair program 1993 that is a rep 
Even for is, failed product. Is, they say if it's not working, if it's failing, if it's, it's a product that is no longer performing its function in there, they can provide FAA funding for it. I have to caution to say that competes with all of this other work that we're doing out there. So See, that I didn't even realize that there was. So they give 80% of the cost, and we correct. have to cover 20% of that cost, even for repairs. Yes, correct. It's all FAA grant funded at that point, and it competes with all of the other work that we're doing out there. There's only a certain amount of funding that we have. I, I know, but I really do like support Commissioner Mohammed's point that this is true infrastructure, and it's helping the human infrastructure in a big way that coexists with this huge massive amount of infrastructure that we operate there at SeaTac. So that is a very clever uh, way of looking at supplementing it. So it doesn't even have to go to the FAA. It doesn't even have to be, well, that, that, that becomes a question. Does this have to go through F I mean, We could use infrastructure money that doesn't go through FAA I to do that. I am not an infrastructure money person, so I can't answer yeah, that. Yeah, well, it's kind of an interesting thing, does it? It's a pass-through potentially, but let us put a point on that. First, we have to find out how, how big a problem it is. Yeah. But let's not let the lack of immediate funds from the FAA preclude us from finding ways to get it done. Agreed. Thank you so much. I, I, I agree with that, but I think this point Stan was trying to make is that if, you, if we go back and try to fix the ones that are failing, we then are in a dilemma where we have to choose between people who want to fix it versus who never got it in the first place. Right, so how do we prioritize that? That is well, the competition. Right. So that is the complication of what, of what I think that's what Stan was trying to point out in, 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 your, in his response but they, to your question. We're, we're making it offered to everybody, right? That's what the first phase was, I thought, of if you're eligible, you're still eligible, right? If you're For, a, for repairs? No, for a post-93. Yeah, yeah. yeah, if you're eligible, if you're, we're you're, offering, yeah. Right, right, so that's the given, right? So then the question is if you failed. So I'm, what is, I'm not sure what, I, what is the, the point is there's only so much money. Is that what you're saying? That's the trade-off. But I'm just saying we should be looking for other sources yeah. of revenue. Did you want to make another comment or no? no. Oh, okay. I thought you were okay. Uh, I, I just wanted to make a, a quick comment as well that uh, there's really good work being done here, and I don't think we've acknowledged that enough. Uh, you all are doing uh, a huge amount of work, God's work, really. And you know, to some folks, it might not be quick enough, and it might not be enough. But the reality is that uh, we are all resource constrained, and that we are doing it as much as we can. And I think it's clear that this commission clears very much so about this issue. And um, I also want to take a second to thank those who have consistently advocated on behalf of those communities, in particular, Council Member J.C. Harris, who has consistently brought this issue up to us, uh, in particular, the failing mitigation packages. Um, one question I did have for Stan and the team is, given our experience with mitigation packages, you know, potentially having failed for whatever reason, how are we, uh, given the new initiatives preparing for or uh, putting in safeguards for, you know, 20, 30 years from today, you know, making sure that we don't run into the same issue of the installers being out of business, right? I think that was one of the things that had brought up is like the installers from 1985 don't exist anymore. They're not even in business. So how do we go, you know, uh, claim that liability? I'm wondering how you guys are kind of thinking about, you know, mitigating against those risks in the future. I mean, that, that is always a challenge and one. I mean, I, we can't predict if a business is going to go out at what point in time. We are using the best of products that we know are available out there. They are tested and true products that give good noise reduction. We've seen no issues with these, these windows that we're putting in. We're continually monitoring our contractors to be the best installers that we can have. We've got oversight by 
program, PMG group, by our engineering group, by Julie with the noise group going out there. We have them on site. So we're making sure that what we're doing is high quality, the best work that can go into these homes. Great. So that's, that's the real true start to this whole thing. But does the window manufacturer give you a lifetime warranty? <laughs> no, they don't anymore. Yeah. They used to, but that isn't a thing within the, the window industry anymore. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you. Um, I have a question. Is there a partnership with other airports or like are we looking at best practices around the country around sound installation? Yeah, so when, when we began this whole effort, when the commission actually gave us direction to complete this project by 2026, the end of it, we actually went out and we did peer reviews with the other airports. We had them review us and we asked them a lot of questions too. So we set up calls. I think there was like five or 10 calls associated with that just to see what issues other airports had, what problems they were encountering. And we still do that. I mean, we still keep in contact with the other airports. I uh, sit in on the Airports Council International um, Environmental Noise Committee. We're always talking about airport noise issues with that and sound insulation programs. We have a conference once a year. Usually it hasn't happened in the past couple of years where all of the sound people get together and talk about this nerdy thing of noise insulation and, and sound. And we all talk about how we're progressing with these. So lots of industry coordination going on with it. Yeah, because there's, there's um, summits that happen where it's um, community experts and leaders come together on sound installation. I'd be curious to hear if there are something like that from the airport leaders, right? Um, if you guys are ever sharing any of those nerdy information you're reading about, if that's open to the public and what some of those peer reviews look like. Yeah. Um the, the closest thing I know to that is there is an airport conference with the UC Davis, it's called the Airport Noise Symposium, which has a very large extent of uh, public participation in there, and also the airports also attend that. So a lot of court, or communication between both the, the public and the airport staff on those uh, in that symposium. So. Yeah, okay, and lastly, I'll, I'll just say to uh, Commissioner Cho Cho's points, I really do appreciate the work that you all are doing, and I want to serve as a partner to, to your team, especially when we're going out to the community and hearing from them. I think there is a disconnect between um, some of the good work that's happening here and community members, and so however we can do to bridge some of that, that communication and coordinate on efforts, I, I think would be really great, and so I want to... Um, just say that I will make myself available for any of those those efforts. Um, however, we can build partnerships. We we should work hard as a port to do that. And so, um, but do do appreciate the work that's happening thus far. That sounds great. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much, uh, Stan. Um, hearing no further questions for this item, is there a motion and a second? Mr. Uh, Commissioner Vice President, I know that um, Commissioner Calkins re did rejoin at 107. Oh, okay. Um, he doesn't have his hand up, so I don't know if you're interested. Okay. In... Commissioner Calkins, do you have any questions regarding the sound mitigation program? Uh, no questions for me at this time. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, is there a motion and a second? So moved. Second. Excellent. The motion was made and seconded. Clerk Hart, please call the roll uh, for the vote. Yes. Beginning with Commissioner Fellerman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Calkins? Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Cho? Aye. Thank you. Five ayes, zero nays for this item. The motion passes.
I'm sorry. So did they not complete their presentation? We just haven't gone through the action item. Oh, gotcha. Okay. All right. I thought that they had made it through their full presentation. Okay. We, we stopped at the briefing. Okay. So that was just a preview vote. Um, well. It's going to be hard to say no now, you know. I feel really bad about trying to retract a motion and a vote. Um, we can retake that vote after they get through with the rest of their presentation. Okay, go ahead. Please continue. It, this should be this should be quick. This should be quick. Thank you, Deputy Clerk. All right. Um, next slide. All right. So, apartment construction authorizations. We're here for uh, forty million dollars to support Phase One construction authorization. Um, through the accelerated program, the apartment program is the critical path. It is the largest program that we have to implement. Uh, phase One will um, authorize us to complete construction of five eligible apartment complexes. And then future authorizations for phase two and phase three will um, be coming, uh, coming later this year or uh, early next year. Next slide. Milestones, acoustic testing outreach will, will continue. Uh, design and permitting is gonna be ongoing throughout the program. Construction, targeting, um, Q4, end of the year this year and through the end of 2026. Um, and the, as, I, as I noted, the milestones represent multiple design and construction phases all running concurrently for us to complete by the end of 2026. Next slide. And these are the participating apartment complexes in location to the um, noise remedy boundary. These are the 10 properties that we noted as testing eligible and currently participating. Next slide. That's it. Any questions on the construction authorization? All right. I don't see any hands. Uh, Commissioner Calkins, are you good? I'm good. All right. Should we retake the vote or are we good? I think we should retake the vote to All be right. clear for the record. Thank you. All right. Uh, I'll take a motion in a second. So moved. Second. All right. Uh, seeing the motion was made and seconded, Clerk Hart, please call the roll for the vote. Deja vu. Beginning with Commissioner Fellerman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you. Five ayes, zero nays. Excellent. The motion passes again. All right. Moving on in the agenda. Item 12. Well, we actually have no presentations or staff reports today, so that concludes our scheduled business items. Are there any closing comments at this time or motions relating to committee referrals from commissioners? All right. Commissioner Fellman. Well, I'd like to just start by expressing how excited I am with the IRA passing and what that's going to mean, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, and what that's going to mean to the port's efforts for decarbonization, uh, both in the aviation and maritime world. Um, and I think it's also appropriate that it's uh, the same meeting here that we passed the uh, budget for Maritime Blue, where we're putting ourselves into the effort to decarbonize our maritime sector in particular. And so I'm glad, even though I couldn't vote, that we were able to do that. The um, the one thing I did, you know, have no influence over this uh, this budget item, but the one item that is the third tier of the of the asking involves something very general, referred to as like hosting meetings or you know the it's a 
open-ended sort of forum sort of thing. And I just want to be clear that, you know, part of my budget ask for this year is that we create a, uh, a much more high-profile uh, maritime awards program as a uh, in incentive-based program for the various innovations we'd like to see by the maritime industry. And so um, I, I just, we are exploring sponsors and things like that at this time. So I just want to make sure that in the, in the providing this sort of carte blanche, that it would be if we're doing something collaboratively, that's great. But I, I didn't want that to be interpreted as, you know, go forth and create something that might be competing with us because the problem with the maritime awards programs have been everybody's got these little programs, so none of them, you know, make a, a splash, so to speak. That's my one point. Awesome. Thank you, Commissioner Fellman. Anyone else? Commissioner Mohammed? I would like to um, move an item uh, to committee the Equity and Workforce Committee. Um, we've heard today from a few airport workers and um, I'd like for the Equity and Workforce Committee to look at New York's healthy terminal um, ordinance and LA's living wage ordinance that both focus on um, maintaining uh, wages for airport workers that also aligns with um, the cost of health benefit um, to be included in that. And so I would like to look at those um, two ordinances from those states um, through the Equity and Workforce Committee. Great. I will second that. And I think, do we need a roll call or can we just, can I just ask for? Just general consent is fine. No All objections, right. fine. Any objections? All right, seeing none, we will make that referral to the work, uh, Equity and Workforce mm -hmm. Development Committee. Thank you, Thank Commissioner. Thank you, appreciate um, that. Yeah, absolutely. Any, anything else? Excellent. Well, hearing no further comments and having no further business. Oh, I'm sorry, Ryan. Uh, uh, Commissioner Calkins, please. Uh, I apologize. You have anything for us? Yeah, just a, a quick note on uh, why I'm participating in this particular conference. Uh, the AAAE is hosting a conference for airports throughout the Americas, and the focus of the panel was on sustainable aviation fuels and the progress we've made in the last three years to develop uh, essentially a market and production for it. And uh, I was on a panel with the whole supply chain from refiners to distributors to fuel farm logistics folks and, of course, airports and and airlines. And the uh, there's been significant progress in the last three years. And then, of course, with this week's uh, news of the Senate passage of IRA, it's uh, that's a big step forward because the Inflation Reduction Act includes both blenders credits and uh, grants to help support the development of infrastructure for sustainable aviation fuels. So it's been a very big week for this very promising uh, mechanism for reducing the uh, GHG emissions of flights by 80 percent and significantly reducing the local air particulate emissions also associated with aviation. So. Very good news all around, and, and it was great to be uh, on a panel uh, as a result of uh, Port of Seattle really demonstrating leadership in the field. So thanks for, for a moment to editorialize a little. Awesome. Thank you so much, Commissioner Calkins, for traveling out to represent the port in that panel. Um, Commissioner Hazagawa. Just to add that we look forward to visiting the Port of San Diego um, 
tom tomorrow some of us are traveling down for a two-day series over Thursday and Friday. In fact, um, we're for the first time a majority minority port commission here in uh, at the Port of Seattle. We received an invitation by um, Port of San Diego Commissioner Sandy Naranjo to take a look at their operations. Down there, we'll be accompanied by our Deputy Chief of Staff, who's also a woman of color, Leanne Shirato, as well as um, our Director of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, Bukta Gezar. Um, so we, we really look forward to sharing some of our insights um, as a body and, and learning about what they have to offer as well. Excellent, thank you. Uh, Executive Director Metric, any closing comments from you today? Uh, no, thank you, Commissioners, and look forward to those reports back. And as we know on uh, the visit to San Diego, we have ongoing conversations both on innovation and sustainability as well, and those with other ports there too. So I hope you have a good trip down there. Excellent. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to that trip as well. Hearing no further comments and having no further business, if there's no objection, we are adjourned, and the time is 1.49 p.m. Wow. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.